Welcome to Bound and Determined, the podcast. I'm your host, Meg McKean. We hold this space to learn from, to grow with, to support, and to celebrate all of the women in insurance. I am so glad that you're here. Natalie Gingrich is a founder. She's the founder of The Ops Authority. She's a woman on a winding career path. And she's a mom. Have a listen as we talk about boundaries. We talk about the legacy that we leave behind and the value of knowing your values. Off we go. I love to think back to the first time I met you and heard about you and the work that you do. We were sitting in a beautiful space here in Chicago at the She Did It Her Way Summit and Amanda Bolin, the organizer of the summit and podcast host extraordinaire and and many other things had invited you to come in and speak about the work that you do. And there were so many great speakers that day, but you really resonated with me because you had shared that part of your career journey had been spent in insurance. And that really piqued my curiosity at that point. I was about a year outside of my own departure from a traditional corporate nine to five in the industry and was really still fine-tuning where I was headed next. And and I found your story and frankly, you and your presence and the way that you carried yourself so inspiring. So thank you. I feel honored that you said yes when I asked you to join me on the podcast. And I thank you for being here. I am so excited to be here. And I remember that day very clearly as well. And I remember you sitting at the front being very studious and just such an inquisitive. I can t- I, I knew right away that you were really inquisitive. Honestly, bound and determined. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> no cliche there, but yes, I am I'm grateful to be here and to walk through my history and enlighten your listeners. Yeah, thank you. And you're right. We're I'm on a journey. The women hopefully that are listening with us are on a journey and yes, bound and determined, bound also being yep. an insurance yep. word, which those outside the industry may not recognize, but Um, When I was doing some plotting and planning, it just made so much sense to incorporate that word. So let's talk about career journey. The amazing thing about the insurance industry is we've all got a different story. Some are similar, but the origin story is different for each of us. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about yours. Yes. So I have... I believe a very windy journey, but I think your listeners, as you're listening to this, you'll kind of put yourself in the same shoe because none of us go through the path that we think that we're going to go through. Most of us don't. There are those anomalies out there who like in third grade and say they want to become a doctor and actually do. But if you're not going down that traditional route, which 99% of us will not, then um, it's always entertaining to hear other people's journeys. So I come from a long line of entrepreneurs, actually, and um, I never wanted to be in the entrepreneurial space. 
because I was really risk adverse and I still am really risk adverse, but that had turned me away from doing that. So as I was going through college and really just diving into what lit me up at the time, I got a degree in exercise science and then I went on and got a nursing degree and then I specialized in a, in a particular field in nursing. So you might be wondering, how in the world did you get into insurance? <laughs> but my initial education is in the healthcare space and I really always saw myself growing into healthcare administration or something in that area. And then um, we had a family move. My husband moved us to San Antonio, Texas with his job. And there were some regulations with Medicare and some differences in the degree and the specialty that I was in. And so it really caused me to just open up. And at this time we didn't have children. So it was really just me and him. I was fairly, I think I was fairly young. I was in my late twenties and kind of trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up because the path that I thought was going to happen didn't look like the same kind of thought. So to put that in perspective, I was earning around $80,000 a year in this nursing field. And when we moved to Texas, the regulations were just quite different and it minimized the amount of income by about half. And so clearly didn't make sense to continue down that path. So I could have taken lots of other nursing jobs, but I really wanted to be in the specialty. And so um, my background and my passion was in, in the overall comprehensive of non-invasive health space. So really in today's world, that means wellness. <laughs> so there's lots of different ways to take care of yourself. And I ran across a job opportunity in an insurance company here, large insurance company that's headquartered here in San Antonio. And it was like the perfect opportunity because I got to blend that passion for wanting that administration with my background in nursing. And so I entered the insurance world by coming into a Fortune 150 company that had its financial services as well as insurance. And I led their wellness benefits. And so this is a little bit of a different path than uh, certainly a different one that I ever expected to be on. But from some of your other listeners or some of your listeners that are out there, you probably are trying to put the, you know, how my insurance background comes into play. And trust me, I never expected that I I would become an expert in life insurance. I never thought I would be an expert in long-term disability insurance, but my career with this employer led me into going deeper in insurance from an employee's perspective. And so as I moved from the wellness benefits um, director, I moved over into a broader health insurance for our employees. And that was a fascinating journey. From there, I went into project management. And then when I left the company, after 15 years, I was the chief of staff for our CEO. And that's really my path until the point where I'm at today. But my life in insurance was really unexpected and really rich. <laughs> and I think your audience, Meg, is I understand your audience really, really well because I supported them. I played a support role almost the entire time I was in insurance. So supporting the people who are on the quote unquote front lines. So that's Natalie's background with insurance. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And that is so relatable. I know I say all the time that career paths are rarely straight lines. And I think the insurance industry and anyone that's spent part or all of their career here can relate. Few of us wake up as toddlers and dream about a career in the insurance industry, but whether it's your forever home or, or a stop along the way, the skills that we accumulate while we're here are really so varying and robust and really 
can take us so many different places. And that's something that I didn't really realize myself early on. I was doing jobs, right? I was do this role, perform this function, and, and here we are. So I think that's great. And, and especially because you get it, you understand the language that we speak. It doesn't translate, unfortunately, to other industries. And it is a very, you mentioned regulated, but also nuanced industry. So I love right. that you have that background. I'd love to know where you are today. So I know that you have a focus on operations, but I'd love to know more about what your work looks like these days. Yeah, so you just said something that sparked me, saying that this doesn't really translate, some of the language doesn't translate, but the skills always will. And that leads me to what I'm doing today. So yes, that nursing, that insurance, the vendor management, the project management, the human resources, I could have never connected those things, but you wrap all of that up today. And that's exactly what I have built outside of corporate and on my own. So today I own the Ops Authority. I come in and help small businesses of all types, any type, to set up operations and get the back end of their business operating in a very efficient manner so that they can focus on the things that, that truly matter to them, which are making sales, creating content, making connections. And as a small business owner, you lose sight of those things because of all the minutia that needs to get done. So I come in as the operations expert and help you to get that built or um, set it up yourself to where you can do that and scale it so that you can focus on the things that matter. So that's what I have been doing today. And really it's not that different than what I was doing in the insurance space. I was supporting that senior leader as the chief of staff. And that's really the role that I have transformed and built for small businesses. So it's the, my time in corporate was such a blessing. It was so rich. Uh, a lot of people leave corporate, you know, with the disdain of um, and frustration. And, you know, usually it's a boss that runs you out. We all know that. But <laughs> I really left with a with just a, a ton of gratitude for all the skills and learning and education that they had given me along the way. And the beautiful thing is I've been able to put a bow on that and translate it to businesses that really make an impact to me personally. So that's where uh, I am today. That's great. And it's a beautiful bow, by the way. Um, your your site, I hope people head there and check it out. Your branding is, is beautiful. And well, yes, I'm just a big fan um, there. So I love the focus on operations because I think from our listeners' perspective, that's going to resonate in two different ways. So we might actually have people listening who are scaling small agencies and are, are maybe a little bit lost. So a couple employees, figure it out as you go kind of mentality, but really looking for some structure and some processes and procedures because you, you make a great point that's integral in the scaling process. And so that's fascinating, but also many of the listeners are likely serving small businesses who may be at that same point and might be struggling. So I love the work that you do now. I love the, the correlation to the insurance industry, but also the opportunity um, that you are providing this resource for the customers that we are, but also that we, we serve as well. So I think that's really powerful. It's interesting to me, you mentioned earlier in our conversation that you had made this trek to San Antonio before you had your family. Um, I know you're a mom and I, I'm curious, you're a small business owner yourself, and I'm sure that like so many of our listeners, you are constantly being pulled in a million different directions. And I'd love for you to share ideas that you have. Um, I know that by nature, you are an exceptionally organized and prosperous person. And I, I'm wondering if you can share some ideas that you have that might be helpful to someone who might be struggling right now. 
Sure. So to connect this to my time in corporate, when my leader left the company or retired from the company, I had the option to stay. And it was just a huge pivotal. I mean, I knew it was coming. It was not a secret. We've been planning on it for years. I didn't know if I would stay with the company or, or really continue with the new CEO that was coming in. But when everything was final, I really took that time to reflect and figure out, do I want to find another job in the company? Because we did find out that the new CEO was going to bring in his entire executive staff, which super common, wasn't shocked at all. But I really was like, what do I want to do when I grow up? That proverbial question that we really never get rid of. And and what like shook me to the core was I am not showing up for my kids in the way that will make me happy when they're older. So I had always said that my biggest success will come, my vision for my life, if you will, is that when my kids are 30 years old, they're great citizens. And I didn't think well, actually I knew I was falling apart inside because I'd really delegated a lot of those responsibilities to other people that I was paying to take care of my kids. And so at that time, my kids were five and nine and I, five and eight maybe, but I was just, it was a big bell went off in my head. Like, I wonder what else I could do to show up better at home so that my kids, so I actually have the opportunity and a chance to create a legacy life for myself and one that my kids can be proud of and one that I can model for my kids. And so I knew working 60 to 70, 80 hours a week away from them was not the way that I was gonna do that. And so that was probably the biggest impetus for me walking away from a very lucrative salary and taking a risk that I never really expected to do. Because remember, I grew up in that entrepreneurial place where we had a lot of feast and famine, we had a lot of success. I felt every failure as a child and it kind of tainted me a little bit. So here I am wanting to live this legacy for my kids, for my family, and then at the same time, remembering all those haunts from my childhood. But nonetheless, she persisted <laughs> and created this business really for my kids. And so if you're listening to this and you resonate with that story and this path, or even if you're just questioning it, or you don't have children and you're trying to figure out how you're gonna do this, something that's been really transformational for me is really spending time on my values really understanding what my mission and my vision and my values are. It's the basis of my entire life, my relationships, my work, everything. And what I was ignoring for so long while I was in corporate and, and really my focus was on the corporate ladder, which was ex a really exhilarating and fun and profitable journey. I was ignoring those values of mine. I was ignoring what Natalie truly was and who I really wanted to be. And so I think if you're listening and you're really kind of feeling pulled or, or just, just want to entertain me for a second, I deeply deeply, strongly encourage you to take, a, just take a hot minute. It's not a hot minute, by the way. This is pondering. This is not something, it's not an exercise that you can sit down, go through a workbook and come up with these things, but start putting some effort and some energy into personally. Don't think about work right now, but think about personally what your values are, who it is that you want to be when you grow up, what is that future self, and then connect it to the to today. And of course, part of your today is your, your children, it's your work life, it's your your personal life, your relationships, your home, lots of other things. But I find that we are disconnecting and we kind of, we never even take note of what it is that we want to do 
quote unquote, or want to be when we grow up. And when we have that gap, there's a ton of lack. There's a ton of feeling like failure, right? But you've never taken the time to actually document and really process what it is that you want to do, want to be, want to look like, want to feel like. And if you don't take note of that, you don't know where you're headed. Once you have that, you can see the gap from where you are today versus where you want to be. And now it's time to take action and start changing those things. So boundaries are a big piece of this, Meg. And I think that the biggest gift to myself in taking the risk of leaving corporate and leaving a consistent, frankly, much easier salary than the one I'm on today was the ability to be able to block my calendar off every single day from three to nine o'clock. And I feel like I say this ad nauseum, but it's my, it's one of my proudest accomplishments in my life. And I know that sounds silly, but it's a boundary. And it's something that I've really prided myself on because for me, with my children's ages at today at 11 and 14, it's so wonderful to have every single day from three to nine. I, my kids are both very sporty and we live far away from town and we drive quite a bit. So every single day from three to nine o'clock, I'm driving my kids in and out of town, spending time with them in the car. And you guys know if you have teenagers or preteens that the connection just gets different with your children as they grow up. And so I am so, so happy that I took the time to understand that living a legacy life, having kids that are 30 years old and amazing, what it takes to create those children and what's important to me. And when I brought all this together, it was spending time with them from three to nine. You know, that's something that I have done. And I hope that I've created a path for your listeners out there to start with their mission and vision, see where their gap is, and then what are the actual actions that they can do that can create boundaries for them in their day to day. Oh, there's so much there, Natalie. And I'll say first and foremost, I've done the mission vision values exercise with you and it is exceptionally powerful and even more powerful once you've done it is to revisit it. It's a grounding exercise when you're feeling off course or a little lost or down in the dumps to sit back down with your priorities and with your focus. And it really helps you to get out of that mess that we find ourselves in. And it's a natural ebb and flow. It is an exceptionally valuable exercise. So I'm glad you mentioned that. And I love that you reference boundaries. And it's one of those things that there's a persona in in sales, and this isn't unique to insurance, but anybody that's client-facing, and service oriented that we always have to be available. And it's something that I've certainly struggled with. A lot of my clients struggle with that this always on approach that if you don't answer the call on the first ring or you don't respond to that email within 30 seconds, the client is going to move on. That's going to be a strike against you. And, And so much of that is managing your client's expectations. And we control that. So I love the idea of boundaries. Yours are physical time boundaries, which I think is really smart and might sound a little intimidating to someone right out of the gate. But I love the idea that you could give it a try, (laughs) you know, maybe maybe two nights a week. For me, one of my 2020 strategies, if you will, I have and actually did this in fourth quarter of 2019 and found it very helpful as I block specific days of the month to do certain things. So my business finances are not not my favorite thing to evaluate. So I have time blocked to do that. So I live in Chicago, work not too far from downtown Chicago, but found myself spending a lot of time running around, running from one end of the city to the next for an in-person meeting. And it was hectic and it was stressful. And I was always felt like I was running late and behind and not efficient. And so now I only do that once a week. All my meetings in person are once a week. Same thing with phone calls. So phone calls that I know are not going to generate revenue for me are handled on two different days of the month and they're just scheduled on those days. And 
For me, it was a way, it is a way of taking back a little bit of the control that I feel like we often feel like we're losing. Boundaries, I think, are very important, and I'm glad that you mentioned that. I just want to add that boundaries are, are something that you grow into, and the number of boundaries that you have, because three to nine was really important to me when I left corporate. It's still very important to me, especially as I have almost a, a driving teenager who's not going to want to be around me and I'm not going to take him everywhere. But the other boundaries that have creeped up, like once you start respecting your own boundaries, the ability to expand those. And so I don't work on Saturdays. I am kind of self-admitted pretty much a workaholic. And so one of my big successes from 2019 is I didn't work on Saturdays. Now I won't say I won't work on a Sunday, but I did close it up on those Saturdays to be fully present with my family. So it doesn't have to be something that seems really, I mean, my boundary and your boundary are always going to be different. And time is not the only boundary either. So for me in my stage of life, it was really important, but that's not to say that it would be the same for you. The other thing is as an entrepreneur, my job is sales. The only way that I'm going to be successful is sales. So I fully resonate with the mindset of I've got to be available. And I feel the same exact way. I mean, when you said that, I was like, I put myself right in that same place where someone sends me a Facebook message. It's like my least favorite way to be contacted, but I'm available there. And when I see it, it's like, do I address it or do I wait? Because they could go to somebody else who can do something similar. They won't do it my way, but I may lose this person. And so I still have the same feelings that you guys have, but I will say that I have over time by respecting my boundaries, I repel people who would be a pain in my neck. I repel people that don't value what I value. So the length, if I were to abandon those boundaries and have those people be a part of my circle and do business with me, the long-term value of that person is probably really low because they're going to, they may buy from me and invest in me and then realize that they don't really like the values and the boundaries that I have, which leads to a shorter lifespan with that person. And so I would just remind you that by having and professing and really putting in time to understand what your boundaries are, what you want them to be, and then communicating them in a soft and gentle way to people, all of a sudden you find yourself around people who are very much like you, who understand where you are mentally and they're lifers with you. They under, you make a real, real connection and relationship with them versus, you know, something that's really superficial and non-connected. Oh my gosh, that is gold. Everything you said there, I absolutely agree. And I see particularly in the insurance community when salespeople have those relationships and they really go deep in building those connections where it's not transactional. It's not about the business at hand, but it's really investing in the relationship is where the long-term payoff comes. And there's such a pull for the quick sale. You got to fill the pipeline. Yeah. You got to close the deal. You, you know, you can fill in the blank with your jargon. And I say all the time, that's not wrong. You know, it's certainly a way to get where you want to go, but I feel from you, I see this in the work that you do, the way that you express what you do and, and who you are as a whole person, the alignment between the work you do, the way that you do it, and how you carry yourself is just so spot on. And I find that so energizing, but also so possible for, <laughs> for people in the world. It doesn't have to be a struggle. First couple of years are certainly tough. You mentioned that your business doesn't work if you're not selling. I'm in the same boat. And though the insurance salespeople listening likely work for other people, it's an exceptionally 
entrepreneurial role. You get to choose who you let in your front door. And that's a really powerful choice. It might mean having to stand up to a sales manager or someone who's wondering why your numbers aren't where they are, but it's really powerful when you can find that alignment. I'm energized talking with you about that in your work. So thank you for that. You have mentioned the phrase risk averse a couple different times. And I love this because (laughs) those listening right now, we work in the business of risk, right? And I say that all the time too. And those who know me well and when I made my leap and took a year off and really explored myself in the world and what was possible, it was so fantastically uncharacteristic of me because this is the woman who, you know, bungee jumping, no thank you, you know, speeding in a car, no thank you. Like if, if it's risky, Meg doesn't do it. And you mentioned the same coincidentally, I'm the daughter of entrepreneurs as well. So that I'm sitting in the seat is not really a surprise, but the path to get here certainly was. And I think it's fascinating that those of us who claim to be risk averse actually tend to be the most likely to take them. I think it's the way in which we approach it. And can you can we go a little deeper into that? Talk about the feelings. Where what was the where did your mind go? Where did your heart go when you made that decision not to stay on in the corporate world? So I'm married. My husband has a great income. And so I did have that backing. But I'm also super ambitious and I was never going, anyone who's known me from the age of zero to 43 would have never said, oh, she's going to be a wonderful teacher or a wonderful (laughs) stay-at-home mom or something like that. So that was really out of the picture. I needed to get out of that hustle, but I was really scared about the income because I'm very frank about my husband's got a great job and it allowed me a little, you know, some discretionary time. I also had almost 16 years of service. So my severance was one that was, you know, lucrative and it allowed us, it allowed me to feel pretty safe for at least a couple months while I got this up and running. I had no idea, Meg, that this was going to take three years to really optimize and get to the place that I'm at today where I feel comfortable. I feel like I've got, I don't feel like the rug is going to be pulled out from underneath me. I don't feel like I need to be checking the corporate job postings on Indeed on a regular basis anymore, but it did take me a long time to get here. And my husband and I, both of us are really risk adverse. And and I really translate that to being very fearful around money. And um, it it wasn't all money, but I would say 80, 90% of it was. There was also that little bit of fear of stepping out and doing something on my own. Would I lose my credibility if I ever needed or wanted to go back into the workforce? That is now 100% gone because the skills that I have gained doing this on my own are just, I wish I could find, I mean, I hired so many people for so long that if I could have found somebody with entrepreneurial skill sets to come into corporate, man, I would have snatched them up in a heartbeat because they're so diverse and so really ambitious. But like I said, it was really around the fear of money and the, or the lack thereof. And I, we needed a certain amount. I didn't want to feel any different or experience life any differently than I had with this nice salary from corporate. And so, so that's one way that the risk adverse adversity has come up. It's also, I talk with a lot of people who are in a very similar situation and I oftentimes feel that relationships One person is okay with risk and handles risk very well, and the other person doesn't. So I'm sure we're not really, really rare, but it does feel like it sometimes. But both my husband and I are so, so risk averse that it makes moving forward really tricky and navigating the, you know, the risk, frankly, to take on opportunities to, you know, 
just to make changes in my own business, I, I move very, very slowly. And so I've needed to be very aware of that and surround myself with people who can help push me and still re like not ignorantly push me, not just like go, 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 go. I want those people who, who understand my timid nature and help me forward. Mm. In the entrepreneurial space, you know, just thinking about risk here, I have probably overprotected myself with insurance. I've probably overprotected myself with protecting my intellectual property. And all of that has come at an expense of finances, but the mental piece I feel today versus even 12 months ago because of the investment in the legal protection is huge. So when I think about risk, I really kind of go straight to the all the legal work that I've done and then the insurance that I have to protect myself should I not be able to work and you know, those things. Yeah, that is legitimate. And I'm so glad that there are all the resources available to us because we are out there building things that don't exist. And we have ideas and concepts that are new to market and valuable. And I love that now I sound like a commercial for insurance, but the peace of mind that, that, that insurance can provide is legit. It's really powerful. I love that you mentioned the kind of the three-year sweet spot and that now that you're at the point in, in your business where you are, you don't worry quite so much. Everything you described about checking out the job postings and mm -hmm. all the, the self-doubt and you I mean, you're telling my story and, and I suspect the story of many people out there in the world. And I find particularly with the salespeople that I work with that three years is really the sweet spot. But unfortunately, when you work for someone else, they often want to see results more quickly. And the antidote to that in, in my experience has always been patience and measurement <laughs> um, and equal parts of both. So I think sometimes our expectations are a little off, but also making sure that you're keeping an eye on your progress. I know for me, I'm not where I want to be in my business, dot, dot, dot yet, but I know I'm on the right path and I can look at all the activity that I've had and all of the progress that I've made because I track all of that. And that measurement is really important. And as someone who values systems, I assume that you've got some of your own internal processes for tracking progress, even maybe when you're not where you want to go. Does that resonate with you? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, something very concrete, like your key performance indicators and kind of nerdy metrics like that keep me going. But then there's just accomplishment. Like what popped in my head as you were talking, Meg, is something that I literally swiped from corporate. Like there were so many great jewels there. I hate when people talk really negatively about their corporate experience because I know we walk away with so much, but one of the things that I've implemented in my business and then all the other businesses that I support is really what I call an accomplishment framework. And so as we're recording this, it's the end of 2019 and I just completed this exercise yesterday and it's really looking back and reflecting, kind of like performance reviews in a corporate setting, but not looking at it from a, what did I not get to Done, but what did we get done? Like, let's celebrate the things that have actually moved us forward and then identify, you know, if we can create a positive scorecard on ourselves and go back and look and see what it was that generated either a feeling of happiness or revenue or whatever it is for you that looks like success, how can we multiply that next year? I think we default to looking at what we didn't do, what we didn't start, what metrics we didn't hit, you know, what revenue we didn't bring in. We look at the negative, the downfalls. It's frankly sad because we do so much. It doesn't matter if you're self-employed, if you work for an agent, it does not matter. We accomplish so much on a weekly, monthly, quarterly basis. And at the end of the year, when it's time to sit down and reflect, 
you naturally go to that I didn't get this done. You know, I, I really feel like looking at accomplishments, I can't ignore the things that went wrong. Like I'm not telling you to bury your head in the dirt or, any, or in the sand or anything, but I feel like we skip over all the amazing things that we done have done. And if we can build upon those in the following quarter, we're gonna see more successes. You're so right about that. I'm reflecting back to my days in the corporate world and performance review was a process that the employee often didn't manage. It was very much filling out a form or providing feedback and, and it's all necessary and needs to be there. And it's not a, a knock in any way for the process, but it, I love the idea that it's something that we can manage on our own as well. So it doesn't have to be something that our boss <laughs> sends us an email and says, by Monday, I need you to do you know, your fourth quarterly review. We can sit down with a pen and paper and we can think about what's working and what's not working and, and where we want to see improvement. And that's really taking ownership of our own path and our own journey, but also creating massive amounts of self-awareness, which is really where this all comes to. We are the, the captain of our ship, so to speak. And so often we're waiting on the sidelines for the next move, but the more of that data and that information we have, the more we can take control of that process. So it's a beautiful process. It's one I don't want you to miss. I mean, I talked about mission, vision, and values, yeah. but this accomplishment framework is something that I'm really, really passionate about. And I just recorded a podcast episode on this. So you guys should go check that out at the Ops Authority podcast. But if you can do this on a quarterly basis, and this all stems from performance reviews, and we in the corporation that I was at, the, the employee started it, and then the manager kind of signed off on them. And I was instrumental in changing and flipping that script because guess what? If the manager or the person who is evaluating you is the only one that has a say in this, they only remember the things that cause them strife. You sit down in a meeting and you're like, how in the world are you bringing up something from nine months ago? I don't even remember, but guess what? It caused them strife. It caused them frustration. Their boss's boss came and talked to them because a ripple effect of something that you did or maybe even didn't do, but that's showing up on your performance. And I got so discouraged from seeing other people be so discouraged in that exact same situation. So we flipped it around and we required our employees to do this quarterly and to document their goods on a quarterly basis so that when it came time to do an annual review, they could remember their accomplishments because the only thing that sticks out to your manager and you are the false things, right? When you go to reflect, we naturally go to a negative state. And so I hope that if you take home anything from this time together with Meg, that you really do look at your accomplishments and use those to fuel your future moves, whether they're personal or professional. That's such great advice. And it's not an ego play to share that feedback. I think there's a hesitation sometimes that, oh, I don't want to come across as I'm bragging or I'm I don't even care if you drag away. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. I think if nothing else, it's a great place to go. You know, that goodness file or folder, however you keep those things. When you're not certain of your position and where you're headed, it's a great place to spend 10 minutes reaffirming yourself and, and where you're headed. Something that's interesting here is I have an objective and a subjective there's two different parts of this accomplishment framework, but one of them is the risk. And so I built that based on my tolerance, my low tolerance of taking risk. And so I want to look back over the quarter or over the month and just say, what did I take risk on? I know that that's a weakness for me and something that can really hold me back from 
forward trajectory. So what are the things that I did to take a risk on? Those are not things that you're gonna remember six months from now, because a lot of times they're really small. But for me, knowing that that's an area that I wanna work on, it's so cool to look back and say, oh my goodness, I invested in this, or I made this decision. Like those are risks to me. And they may not be important to anybody else, but for me and my makeup and the way that my brain works, I love to see that I was courageous. And for me that, you know, risk is just one of those things that I have to work on. And so having that documentation is not for anyone else, but little old Natalie. And it's my own pat on the back whenever I'm doubting that I'm brave or courageous or can be an inspiration. Mm. I feel like we've come full circle <laughs> talking about, <laughs> yes. about risk and process. I'm so glad that you took the risk when you did and, and you started the Ops Authority because I'm just certain that our paths would not have crossed yeah. otherwise. So I, I'm so glad that you did and that we're on this journey together. If someone wanted to find you right now, where should they go? I would send them to theopsauthority.com. That's my website. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, all with The Ops Authority. So that will be an easy place to find me. And if those of you guys are listening and are interested in that mission and vision exercise, if you go to theopsauthority.com slash mission, there's a download there. And I am just from the mountaintops. You will always hear that coming from me because I really do think it's the root of making a life that is one that you're really proud of and one that you're excited to even, you know, things like work. I mean, work, you may want to work or you may have to work, but if you know what excites you, I think you're going to find a happier path to getting there. That's amazing. And I'm so glad that you referenced that. We'll throw it in the show notes too, to make it easy on our listeners and absolutely spend the time, pour a cup of coffee or a cup of something else and do that exercise. It's very transformative. So I'm glad that you mentioned that specifically. Natalie, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for supporting the mission, so to speak, yes. and look forward to catching up with you along the way. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Meg. You've been listening to Bound and Determined, the podcast hosted by me, Meg McKean. Theme music produced and performed by Amy Gerhartz. Learn more about the podcast, including sponsorship opportunities and how to become a guest at adjunctadvisors.com. Thanks for listening.